the Bible is going to be enough for the sermon today. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dan Bidwell. Nice to meet you. Um, I think some of you knew it's... Uh, I'm going to apologise that I'm not going to shake anybody's hand today. As much as we are partners in the gospel, I don't want you to be partners in my flu. And so um, we will wave from afar. Uh, but it's good to have you at church today um, as we come to meet with God and to remember all of Jesus' promises to us. In a little while, we're going to share at the Lord's table as well uh, to be reminded of our partnership, uh, the invitation that we have to come to Jesus and to eat with him. Uh, But as we begin, as always, a joke. There's not always a joke at the beginning of the sermon. There is today. Um, In a Peanuts cartoon, uh, Lucy demands that Linus change the channel. Switch channels, she says. And she says, I said, switch the channels. I want to watch my program. And uh, Linus says, what, are you kidding? What makes you think you can just walk right in here and take over? And uh, Lucy says, it's these five fingers. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. (laughs) Linus switches the channel and he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? Uh, Today we're thinking about the idea of unity as a church, Uh, not unity so that we can form a weapon, but uh, unity so that we can achieve great things. Why am I not clicking? I'm pointing the wrong way. Don't point at the screen, you've got to point at the receiver. Um, Unity, it's not always easy though, is it? Um, And I think it's something we need constant help with. Uh, So why don't we pray that God would show us the pathway to unity as we open his word right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help, uh, please speak to us today, uh, speak to our minds and our hearts, and teach us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Uh, will you unite us in Christ and in spirit for your glory? And we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of our Term 4 series uh, in the book of Philippians. Uh, it's all about choosing joy. Uh, and in our passage today, Paul speaks about something that would make his joy complete. Uh, So why don't we jump into the passage. Um, First big idea is if. Um, You might not have known, uh, before I was a minister, I was a language teacher um, in high school. Actually, I taught primary as well, uh, but mainly a high school. uh, And I taught French and German. And uh, when I read the passage for today, I was reminded of something that we used to do in German class, an activity all about a special verb, um, a verb conjugation called the conjunctive. Sounds exciting, so we're going to have a German lesson in English. Um, You had to form sentences that went like this. If we did something, then something else would happen. So, sentence like, you know, if I had a car, then I would drive to the beach. Um, So, you get to practice now. Um, You finish the sentence. If I had a million dollars to spend today, then I would... Did somebody say buy a ute? That's a big, that's an expensive ute. The funny Tesla truck. Is that what you said? <laughs> uh, second one, if I, had, if I had a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, then I would travel to Italy. Somebody said Hawaii. Where else? Africa. Whoop, that'll do. All right, last one. If I could do one part of my life over, then I would. Don't answer that one might be worth thinking about. The passage today begins with an if and a then. Um, If you have this attitude or this kind of attitude, then your actions should be like this. 
Uh, and it's a continuation from the idea at the end of the last chapter. Paul said, as a church, we should conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And, uh, and now he continues to explain what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. Um, so he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love and being one in spirit and of one mind do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others so we have the if and the then there's four ifs to begin with the first if if you've got any encouragement from being united with christ um, the first idea we have to take away here is that when we believe in jesus we're actually united with him we become one with him if you put your faith in jesus uh, it's, a, it's what happens when we put our faith and trust in him and so paul's talking here to people who've given their whole lives to jesus uh, they've put all their eggs in the basket in the one basket with jesus and he says, if that oneness, if that togetherness with Christ has brought you encouragement, then he says, well, then he says his second if. Second if, if you've got any comfort from his love. If we understand Jesus' love for us, what we understand is his forgiveness. We understand his mercy. We understand his grace and his restoration of our relationship with God. Uh, this is the love of Jesus that he says, if that brings you any comfort, that kind of love. Well, the third, if then, Paul says, if you've got any common sharing in the Spirit. Um, Paul's talking about those people who've received the Holy Spirit. And um, by the way, we receive the Holy Spirit when we become a Christian. Uh, in the New Testament, we're taught that uh, we receive the Holy Spirit when we receive Christ. Uh, and the Spirit is actually how God makes us one with Jesus. God comes and dwells in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Uh, he takes residence, he takes up residence inside us. And uh, his Holy Spirit does a work of changing and sanctifying and, and growing us and shaping us to be more like Jesus as his Spirit lives in us. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit, um, this was a question from youth group that I got to answer a few weeks ago. Um, somebody said, Do we, does, this, does the Holy Spirit come and go on us like it did in the Old Testament? Well, I think the, uh, the New Testament record says, and no, that's not correct. In the Old Testament, um, King Saul had the spirit for a little while and then it left him. But in the New Testament, Jesus promises, and this is his promise after he rose back to life again, he promised that he would pour out his spirit on all believers. He'd pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit on believers so that he would be with us always to the ends of the age. This is how Jesus remains with us, by his Holy Spirit indwelling us. In Ephesians 1, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So when we trust in Christ, we've got the Holy Spirit, which is great. That's a little theology of the Holy Spirit for you. So Paul says, if you've got the Holy Spirit, if you, if you have the Spirit, you've shared in that, I think he's getting here at the point is if you're genuinely a Christian. You know, if you're united with Christ, if you, if you understand his love, if it brings you comfort, if you share in the Holy Spirit, the fourth if then is, if you've got tenderness and compassion. Um, kind of wondered what this one meant. Well, this word tenderness comes from the original language, and it's the same word as something that like churns up your guts. 
this deep down feeling inside. So if you, if you feel the gospel deep down inside, if it's changed you, if it's churned you up, if it's turned your life upside down like it did to the Apostle Paul, if it's made you look at the world differently and see it from God's eyes, uh, if, if it's given you compassion for others and this view for, for the world as lost without Jesus, that's what he's talking about here. If it's given you a burden to know that, uh, to want them to know Jesus, well... I think those are all the ifs. So I think he's really saying, if if you've been affected by Jesus, if Jesus makes a difference to your life, he says then, second big idea, then make my joy complete. I remember this whole book is about joy. Um, Paul talks about rejoicing in all kinds of circumstances and he says to the church, if you can do this one thing, then you would make my joy complete. Paul, remember, he's in prison. He's in chains for Christ. And, and so what would make Paul happy? Um, what would make his joy complete? You, you, might answer, you might think the answer is to be released from prison. Or you might think the answer for Paul in, in prison, you know, what would make his joy complete? Maybe to, for him to be honoured as this pioneering missionary who, who took the gospel to Europe and Asia. Or maybe his joy would be if he could get out of jail and continue doing the important work that he'd been doing. But actually his answer is very different. Look at verse 2. He says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul says that nothing would make him happier than to see the church united. Um, What does a united church look like for Paul? Well, well, first he says we ought to be like-minded. I think this like-mindedness means having our focus on the same thing. Churches can focus on all kinds of things. They can focus on social justice or um, human rights or politics or or particular aspects of doctrine. And all of those focuses are important, but they're probably not the focus that Paul has in mind. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 2.2, I think we get a clue as to what Paul is always on about. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was amongst you except for Christ Jesus and him crucified. Uh, Paul's focus is on Jesus. And that's why our focus here is on Jesus too at Robertson Church. As a church, Jesus is our main focus and and understanding the riches of the gospel and and his life and death and resurrection for us and the new life that he gives us in this lifetime and the life eternal that's coming when we trust and put our faith in Jesus, when he brings us into glory, just like Jesus himself was glorified. And that doesn't mean that we never think about anything else. Um, We do think about other things, but the way that we think about those peripheral issues, social justice and politics, well, they'll be shaped and informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the gospel of Jesus will always be the thing that shapes and organises our direction as a church. It'll always be the thing that centres and focuses our thinking. We'll go, what, what would Jesus have been like? Or what does Jesus teach us about that? So number one, have the same focus. Second idea, have the same love. Have the same love. Um, What is this love that we ought to have as a church? Love for our friends? Love for getting good coffee at morning tea? (laughs) Love for um, hanging out together? Those are good things to love. But actually, I think we're talking now about the same kind of love that Jesus had. Love that is other person-centered. Love that honors others. Love that is merciful and grace-filled and forgiving. Love that is perfect see that in church too often wouldn't it be great um god willing that's us paul wants us to same have the same kind of love that god has for us the same kind of love that jesus displayed in his life and death and that kind of love is disarming isn't it 
Imagine people walked into church or met you on the street or met you at your soccer game or, or cricket or whatever it is. They met you at your place of work and they're like, there's something different about that person. The way they love is just different. I'd love to see that. An amazing reputation to have this people who belong to Jesus that are characterized by a love that is just something like an X factor love. You can't even describe it. Well, that's the way that God wants us to love because that's the way that God loves us. Well, next he says, being of one spirit and of one mind. Um, do you remember back in chapter one, um, there were people in the church who were preaching Christ out of rivalry and envy. And so they were divided over some petty quarrel. We don't know what it was, but here Paul says, I want you to be united in spirit and mind. He, he wants them to find this fundamental oneness, this togetherness, this partnership, this unity that's not founded on another cause, it's founded on Christ. And they're to let nothing undermine that unity. And that leads us into verse 3. Because after all these positive instructions, now he talks about a negative attitude that really threatens to undermine their unity. So verse 3, do nothing out of self, uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I'll tell you a story about my life. About 15 years ago, I had a mentor, an older Christian guy. He's probably 10 years older than I was. Uh, his kids were a little bit older than my kids. Um, so they were this godly Christian couple, just a, another step or two down the, further down uh, in the game of life. And anyway, he gave me some marriage advice once. Um, and I'll never forget it. He said, when your marriage is in a good place, he said, don't do this if your marriage is in a bad place. But he said, if you're in a good place... Um, it's a good time to talk about things that maybe you could improve in your marriage. Don't tell the other person what they should improve. Say, is there anything I could do to make our marriage better? Is there anything I could do to love you more? Um, don't do it when you're fighting. Um, you'll just get a really long laundry list of all the things you do wrong. Um, when you're in a happy place. And uh, my very godly wife, Jo, um, she and I were in a good place. And so she went away and thought about it. And a day or two later, she came back and she said, she said, yes, there is something you could do to improve. She said, you're selfish. Wow. Um, but you know what? She was right. Um, it was actually a very wise and godly thing to tell me. And, and so I started to pray, how can I be the opposite of selfish in our relationship? How can I work on my selfishness so that actually I love Joe more and that I love the kids more? How will I do that? What does my attitude look like in actions? And it was a wonderful thing for our marriage. Sounds harsh at the beginning. But when you're in a good and trusting place, you can hear the negatives and you can work on improving them. And I think that's what Paul is doing with the church in Philippi. He says, you're in a good place with Jesus. And so here are some aspects of your character that you could work on. This would be good for you. And so verse 3, he wants the church to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, he wants us to value others above ourselves and look to their kind of goodness. And so with that attitude, we ask ourselves, what would serve other people in this church? I think that's the attitude we'd have. How would I lift up other people rather than lifting up myself? How, how do I encourage others and love them and help them rather than kind of saying, well, well, nobody loves me? How would I do that? And I think that's the opposite of doing things out of vain conceit. Um, van vanity and conceit would probably say, well, I'm, I'm the most important person in the room here because I get to stand up the front. Um, or I'm the most important person because I lead a ministry. 
or I'm the most important person because I'm on a particular roster, or, or I'm more important because I live a certain kind of lifestyle compared to others. It's very easy to slip into the comparison game, isn't it? But, you know, ca- comparison, it's the currency of vanity and conceit. Um, nothing good comes out of vanity and conceit, especially for Christians. So instead, Paul calls for humility and valuing others above ourselves. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. I was telling my Bible study this week, I, I, I realized I'd done some vain and conceited things. Um, if you can talk to them about it later, they'll, they'll, tell me, they'll tell you all the things that I did wrong. But he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Um, I think ambition is one of those human traits that brings out both the best and the worst in us. I don't know if you, about you, I'm, I'm a very ambitious person. Um, ambition says I want to be the most person, uh, ambi- sorry, I want to be the most important person in the room and I want everybody to know that I'm the most important person in the room. Um, those of us who are ambitious know that feeling. Um, it's kind of really how I grew up. I think ambition was probably one of the biggest values in my family um, and uh, ambition that led to money and power. And even though I started following Jesus and the way of humility 30 years ago, I still find that ambition welling up inside of me. So how do you choose the opposite of selfish ambition? How, how do you choose ambition for Jesus? I think that's the opposite. Well, the ambition for Jesus, I think, um, from my point of view, would be an attitude that says, well, I want to see Jesus honoured in the Southern Highlands, um, not Dan Bidwell. Or, you know, I, I want this church to grow, not so that Dan Bidwell looks famous, but so that Jesus looks famous. And not so they say, wow, you know, you should see that preacher at that church in Robertson. But so instead they say, wow, when you go to that church, you really get a sense of Jesus Christ and his presence and his power and his beautiful humility. Uh, They'll say, you know, that preacher, I don't really remember who he was. He just talked about Jesus all the time. I think that's what we want people to remember, isn't it? That that Jesus is the hero of the church at Robertson, not, not anything else we do. That when you come here, you get to meet Jesus. See, when we keep Jesus at the center, then um, our egos get to fade into the background. The church isn't about us, it's about him. It's not about a pecking order of importance or um, a, a game of social networking where we trade on our godliness for, and jockey for position. Uh, following Jesus, it's about taking up our cross and following him and denying ourselves and giving everything we have to his kingdom so that it will grow and so that he will be made big. We're not here to be served and set on a pedestal. We're here to, to actually roll up our sleeves and to join in the work of making disciples. And we do that because that's what Jesus did. Jesus rolled up his sleeves and walked amongst us. He, he wandered into our mess. He walked into it deliberately so that we could find God. And that leads us to the big idea number three. This is the reason why we're to do any of this. So the reason we ought to be humble servants is because that's what Jesus was like. Have a look at verse 5. Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what is Jesus' mindset? Well, it's there in verse 6 to 11. It's Jesus who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Um, I think out of all people in history, Jesus could have claimed self-importance, couldn't he? You know, he's, he's literally in his very nature God. Uh, He's not just human, he's fully God, he's equal with God. We're reading the second line of the poem um, in the book of Colossians. It tells us that Jesus was there when God created everything. And in fact, that everything was created um, through Jesus, by him and for him. Amazing. Jesus, his very nature God. 
But he doesn't play that card. He doesn't wear it like a badge to say, you know, guess what, I'm the, I'm the son of God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't hold tightly onto this status as something that could be used for his own advantage. Instead, he actually uses it for a far greater purpose. Look at verse 7. Rather, he makes himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So think about this. Jesus voluntarily stepped down from the throne of heaven to be born as a human. And one born in very humble circumstances at that. You know, his mum was a teen mum. His dad was a carpenter. He's born in a barn, not a palace. He didn't wear robes. He's never honoured in his lifetime as a king, unless you count the day that the soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head before they crucified him. But that's what it looked like for Jesus to make himself nothing, uh, to take on the nature of a servant, uh, to choose humility for the sake of others, for our sake. See, look at verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In his humility, Jesus was so obedient to his plan to save us that he allowed his body to become breathless for us. He allowed himself to be nailed down, to lie down and be killed for our sakes. Um, I I just read the end of Matthew's gospel. I was was reading it recently. And at the moment of Jesus' arrest, he says, don't you know that I could call down, I could ask my father and he would at once send more than 12 armies of angels, 12 legions of angels to come and rescue him. But Jesus didn't want to be rescued. He didn't have to die He could have called for rescue, but he didn't. And he chose to lay down his life for us. He became obedient to death on a cross. He didn't consider his life worth more than ours. He put us first. And and Jesus says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He put himself last so that we could be put first for the salvation of all who put their trust in him. Um, But remember, of course, that's not where the story ends. It doesn't end on the cross. It doesn't end there. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father see Jesus put himself last but God honored Jesus by exalting him to the highest place we just sang that do you love that song we just sang above all else I adore your name that's what that's what everybody's going to sing one day Above all else, Jesus' name. He, he puts himself last and God exalts him to the highest place. He gives Jesus this name that's above every name. The name of kings, the name of presidents, the name of prime ministers, the name of famous CEOs and billionaires, religious leaders, celebrities. His name is far above all of those. His honor and his power exceed them all. And even though those names that are exalted, they're the ones that are exalted in our society today, one day... They'll be forgotten. Nobody will know those names. But the name of Jesus will be revealed as a name that's above all else. On that day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow before him. Talked about this in our Bible study this week. Some people are not going to want to bow to Jesus on that day, but there'll be nothing they can do but acknowledge that he is sovereign above all when he's revealed. Every creature on earth in heaven, under the earth, every human, every angel, every created thing, Jesus will be the undisputed sovereign over all and all creation will bow to him. And and similarly on that day, every tongue 
will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Um, I said last week, sometimes feels like um, the culture is winning the, the war against the church. Uh, and, and, you know, the church is at risk from cultural influences. Well, Philippians 2 reminds us that the culture is never going to prevail against Jesus Christ or his church. It may look like uh, we're losing a battle, but Jesus Christ has already won the war. And one day it will be very, very clear. And so our work as a church is actually just to continue living lives worthy of the gospel, to, to have the same mindset as Christ have that same humility and the same love and the same mission and the same goal and to bring Jesus Christ and his wonderful name into every relationship and every situation and every place where we work or where we go during the week so that wherever we go people will start to begin to understand that Jesus is Lord in our lives one day he'll be Lord everywhere not not so that they'll be judged but so that they'll meet him in his mercy and his love be an amazing thing for people to think as they see us. Why don't we pray about that now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we pray that we'd live lives worthy of you. Thank you that in Christ you unite us with him by your Holy Spirit. Would you fill us with love and compassion? Fill us with tenderness and give us minds that seek to glorify Jesus in all that we do. Father, as a church, help us not to be vain or selfish or conceited. Help us not to treat others as less than ourselves, but to serve the interests of others above ourselves. We thank you that we follow a humble servant in Christ. And may this church also be characterized by humility. So that as we share the hope of Jesus in the Southern Highlands and, and wherever it is that we live, many people would say, in that church you can meet Jesus to the glory of God the Father. We pray this in the exalted name of Christ. Amen.